season finale. We, uh, we've spent really since the beginning of the year reflecting on the seasons of life, this idea of the spring of youth, um, summer of our younger adulthood, the fall and the autumn of midlife and the winter of our advancing years. We've tried to think about what it means to live well in each season of our lives. And all of us have identified, in, I think, in different ways with uh, sort of out of the lens of where we are. But um, we're going we're gonna to focus now on the promise of something that goes beyond the winter of life, the promise of the spring yet to come. And I feel like it's impossible for a follower of Jesus to only talk about winter without at some point talking about the promise of the spring that is ahead. Because everything about Jesus has to do with new beginning and new possibility. So um, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to just bless us. We had a chance to sort of set the tone with this idea of time being a limited commodity. But we're going to now, Lord, just come before you uh, here on this uh, mid-morning. Really a beautiful day that you've made, Lord. Uh, it seems like it's easy to, to say thank you, God, when we rise up and see a day like this. So beautiful. What a gift to be alive, Lord. Uh, we want to, I want to ask you to be present among us. Um, you know each of us better than we know ourselves. You know the things that we're, we're actually struggling with right now. And um, the deepest concerns of our life um, are just right before you. You reminded us that not only do you know these things, Lord, but you care about us. And that's a hard one to fathom sometimes, that the God who created all that we know and even don't know cares so deeply about the unique cares and concerns of our lives. And yet that's what you told us to never forget when you were on earth. And so I want to ask for you to bless us, Lord. I want to ask you to pour your grace out over us. Help us to listen to you as best as we can and to think about how we're living in light of where we're going. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Time waits for no one. Our life is in many ways like a, uh, an hourglass. We, we, there's a limited commodity component to it, and there's no way to predict how much sand we actually have in the glass. That's the days of our lives. Um, but you know, I was this winter, I was, winter is something that has a lot to do with where we've been, again, this, this idea of older, older part of our life, advancing years. I was thinking about it even more so these last couple of days because two of the most important women in my life, my mother and my grandmother, um, are having their birthdays this weekend. One, my mom turned 64 yesterday, and my grandmother um, is turning 84 um, tomorrow. And I found myself reflecting on not only what they both meant to me, and I was able to talk to my mom, express to her, we were able to express our love to one another as she is, and we were talking about it, she's making her way into the winter season of her life, you know, started moving into that direction. And, and then I was joking with my grandmother about how we, you know, we, she's in that, that bonus time, right? She's, you know, I said, I only hope I can be like you, really, honestly to be able to take care of yourself, drive around still. Um, fairly happy person in terms of just, uh, you know, a, a good, by the way, I'll just say this, that's what I'm gonna say about is that those two women showed, showed me love, unconditional love and modeled that. And I'm so blessed for that. And yet now watching them move into different seasons uh, makes some of what, what is, we're talking about here even more meaningful to me. 
the Bible has a lot to say about um, what is to come. Because we're earthbound, we often just get so caught up in living life that we really, unless someone close to us dies or something happens that brings us in close to this idea of death, we really don't spend a lot of time because it's not really something we would want to think about. And um, yet the Bible has a lot to say about it, but not just death, about what is the promise for one who would embrace Christ after that. And so, in fact, if you were reading the Bible, the, the, probably one of the great chapters in the Bible that talks about uh, you know, what is to come for the follower of Jesus. What does the next life look like? What does it mean? In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and I put a portion of this in your, in your handout, but that is, this is the chapter in which Paul, the Apostle Paul, is reflecting on the significance of Jesus rising from the dead and what it means for those who would embrace his promise and his words and his life. And he's talking, thinking about what it's going to mean for, and he uses phrases that are a little bit awkward. He says, when this corruptible, this, this body of ours, which is not designed to last forever, at some point is going to put on, in, he says, incorruptibility. There's a point where this mortal is going to put on immortality. He's talking about the, the fact that this tent of ours, this body of ours that really allows us to work out who we are, at some point, it's not going to be able to contain the life force that is within us. And so he's meditating on it. He's going back and forth on it. And he's, he's finding himself drawn to the significance of Jesus. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in that 58th verse. And he tells us to, to never forget what we have been given because of Jesus rising from the dead. Now, I was thinking about this because, you know, we're starting to move into soon to the, the, what's called the Easter season. And frequently, that's a great time for thinking a little bit more about the death of Christ, what it means, the cross, and then we get to a point where we celebrate the fact that he rose from the dead. And that is a big deal. But if you really want to get down to it, Christianity can be distilled to three real questions that if we answer these questions will essentially give us the core of what the Christian life is all about. The first question is this, is there a creator, a creator God who made all things, things seen and unseen? Did he set this world as we know it in motion and allow us to exist? Is there a God who created all things? Two, did that God who created all things, come into this world and send his son into this world. And that is a big deal because it indicates the fact, the question is, did, the, did God of eternity enter into the human dilemma? Did he indeed become one of us? Was he Emmanuel, God with us? When we talk about Jesus at Christmas time, was he the one who came to save us, to give us an ability to get to God when we couldn't get to him ourselves because we were separated, we needed a savior? That's the second question. And then thirdly, did Jesus, that son, not only die, but did he rise from the dead? I mean, if you really get down to it, what you have there is you have the creation, you have Christmas, and you have Easter. And you have, we have the essential core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If we embrace these truths, what does it mean? This is the essence of it. Jesus has come. God has moved into his world. And he has not just given us a nice philosophy to get by and get through life with. He's given us a hope because he lives, we can live, that stretches beyond our winter. In other words, springtime 
is yet to await us because someone has come through winter and lived again. That is the promise that we are invited to embrace. Because I'll tell you right now, if it's not, if Jesus did not rise, then all we are doing here talking about the seasons of life and how to live, honestly, it's just, uh, it's just, it's nice talk. And it's on, it could, it, it, at best, it's maybe comforting, and at worst, it's meaningless gibberish. It, it, it's a nice effort, but it doesn't really mean that much. Do you understand, you understand what I'm saying? If following Jesus was only just to be able to have a nice system of how to get by and live a kind, then in one way, honestly, it's as good as another. And, and um, Paul talked about that. Look at this passage here. He says, this is the second passage. I'm going to read this one. It says here, and this is from the message translation. He says, not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. He says, all these affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ. In other words, people who said they had seen the risen Savior. Sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, if bodies aren't raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. And Paul says, and if Christ wasn't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. Look at this. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. And then a key verse. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, if Jesus is just a good teacher, a nice philosopher, one of many different options that exist for us just to get us by in an otherwise meaningless existence, then he says, what's the whole point of it? Don't, he basically says, don't waste your time. Go look for something else. In fact, we can't even tell what is meaningful at that point. What really does? What is good? What is meaning? If this is it and there's no future, what he's saying is don't play the game. Either embrace the truth that is being offered to us and really embrace it fully in the mystery of what it is and the promise that it, it implies and contains. Because what it means is this life matters. That's what it tells me. That how I live actually makes a difference. There's a, there's a purpose for it. It counts for something. Jesus said, and I'll, I'll talk about it as, you know, frequently, when he was talking to his disciples on the verge of his death, he says to them, you look at my eyes right now. He says, don't you ever forget this. I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And then he said this, as if he could see the incredible look in their eyes, could it, as if they were saying, could this be true? And Jesus says, you believe in God, believe in me. If it were not so, I would have told you. That was powerful. He's saying this is not the end. Winter is not the final season to those who will follow me. You follow me right through winter and into spring. That's what he was saying. And that's what Paul was looking at here. You know, I, I find myself oftentimes thinking about um, how short our life is. And um, I was reminded again of that uh, man that I've sort of been weaving into some of the messages in the last couple of weeks, John Donne. And again, John Donne, this man known today as kind of a poet from the 16th, late 16th century and early 17th century, but really he was a, the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral. He was a, uh, a pastor, really, of a church at a time when it was really hard to be. It was in London. I remember we talked about how the Great Plague had hit London and hit Europe, really, for that matter. In fact, again, hard for us to imagine a third to a half of the entire population being wiped out by the Black Death, as, as it was called. 
He was living at a time when people were just dying like flies on the left and right. You would open up a paper in the morning and it would, it would, it would list names, sometimes a thousand names. I mean, people just assumed that when they got sick, they were dying. He got sick. They thought he had the plague. He's lying on his deathbed as he understands it. He thinks he's dying. He's very ill, but he can still write. He writes a number of different things. One of the things he writes is, the, is some of the poems that we all know, that whole No Man is an Island, you know, that, that poem at the, which ends with, you know, For Whom the bell, bell Tolls. But there was another one that he wrote that's less known that, that to me, I, I feel is profound. And it pictures a man who is nearing his end, or at least he thinks he is, wrestling with his faith and his past and, and the promise of the future. And even though it's in a little bit of language that maybe a lot of us wouldn't necessarily use, we wouldn't use today for sure, it nonetheless captures something that I think is part of all of our own thinking when it comes to really what, it, what awaits for me as I'm getting ready to die. And this is what Dunn wrote, and he called it a hymn to God the Father. Again, he's writing this thinking he's about to die, thinking that those bells that are tolling, that are indicating someone's death are about to toll for him. And he's writing this. He's, he's sort of going back and looking at his life again, thinking about where he's come from and, and what is ahead of him. And he's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid that the promise is too good to be true and that it, this is really going to be the end. But he's also afraid of what he has been in his past. And so all these thoughts are in him. And he pens these words. And look at what he says. I put this in there. He says, Wilt thou forgive? Will you forgive that sin that I begun, which was my sin, though it were done before? Wilt thou forgive that sin which I run, through which I run, and do run still, though still I do deplore? In other words, Lord, the things that I hate, I still do them. I, I know that. And notice the word play. What is his last name? Done. What is he feeling this with? Done. He says, when thou hast done, thou hast not done. This is not all. I have more. He says, will you forgive that sin which I have won others to sin and made my sins their door? He's saying, not only do have I done things, but I've had others do things because of the way, the choices I've made. And he's thinking about, he's thinking about the other people's lives that he's affected. And he's thinking about his past and he's regretting it. And he's concerned that, that God, there's not going to be room. And look, watch what he does. He says, will you forgive that sin which I did shun a year or two but wallowed in a score 20. When thou hast done, you have not done, for I have more. I have this sin of fear that when I've spun my last thread, that's a, that's a great way of saying when I've breathed my last breath, when I've spun my last thread, that I shall perish on the shore, that that's it. And all the joy of life and all the promise of life and everything I've, I've loved is is ended and ceases to exist. But I say, he says, but swear by thyself that at my death thy sun shall shine as he shines now. He's talking about himself, that I'll live again. And heretofore, and having done that, thou hast done, I will fear no more. In other words, Lord, remind me of a promise that goes beyond my sin, that goes beyond my fear of death, that stretches all the way into life which is to come. What he was trying to do is remind himself. Now, you know what ends up happening? <laughs> he he does, he doesn't have the black, he doesn't have the, he ends up living for a number of years more, and uh, he, he, has a, he has a fever, a, what's called a spotted fever. Um, 
but he survives, he recovers. He even survives the attempts to cure him, which sometimes <laughs> killed people in those days. The, the attempts to cure you were as, almost as lethal as the disease that you would have acquired because they had such a poor understanding of infection and disease and how to combat it. I mean, you're talking about bleeding people and, and uh, actually sometimes doing the very opposite thing that technology today and medical advancement would tell us that you were supposed to do. He lived in an era where it was, uh, you know, honestly, you were taking a huge risk when you just let someone try to heal you. And so he, he, death was real. It was all around him. He's thinking about life. He's thinking about his past. He's dwelling on it. And you know what? I'll tell you, it is, it's, it's sort of like what Jesus invites us to think about. It's like he finds himself thinking that, you know, what I have is you. There's this yearning to want to shine again. I want to shine. I want to live. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it overflowing beyond this life. We all, many of us know, John 3, verse 16, it's often called the center of the gospel, the good news, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him should not perish, but what? Have life and life everlasting. It's the great promise for which he had come. It was, it's a promise that we need to embrace, that death is not the final word. There's still a spring. Okay, that's great. I appreciate that. Do we really? Do we really understand what that means? But you know what? Most of us are honestly okay with not being in heaven yet. Be honest. We like living here. This is the world we know. And I'm thankful that the Lord never said, be so heavenly minded that you forget about how you're supposed to live here on earth. He talked about, and Paul did too, when he said, be very thoughtful in light of living with an eternal promise how you apply that reality to your present life. And so as we sit with this idea of a spring yet to come, I want, to, I want us to think about what it means to live well in these seasons as we bring this kind of closure to what we've been talking about. Let me start by just saying this when it comes to the seasons of our lives. I'm going to suggest, that, and this will be our first thought here, that when it comes to seasons, that we need to be able to think about what it means to grow in the season that we're in. We need to make a determination to keep growing. I talk about this all the time. I mean, one of the things that is clear here is, is that all of us identify with some seasons more than, you know, we usually think about the season that we're in. And so a person who's in springtime is identifying with spring. Someone who's thinking, well, I'm in my, I'm in my summer of my life. I'm in my middle age. You know, I'm in my winter years. We, we tend to identify with the season we're in. Now, the t tendency is, well, when we're younger, I'll take care of that when I get older. And the tendency when we're older is to go, you know what? Well, I've already lived it, and so what can I do about it now? And I'm going to say that every season of life presents an opportunity for us to grow and to live well for God. That there is a seasonal opportunity that presents itself to us. You know, when Paul talked about this, he says, Therefore, my beloved, this is the 58th verse of that 15th chapter, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, that it, does, that it actually counts for something. How you live matters, that's what he's saying. In light of the fact that we have a promise of a life yet to come, he says, Ashley, that should motivate us to want to live a fruitful life now in the present. And I'm going to say, in the season that we're in, a lot of times people are, are thinking, well, how do I know what, how I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed to be doing in my life? I'm saying, don't, 
Don't think that big, maybe. Why don't we start with what are we supposed to be doing in a season of our life? What would doing God's will look like in this season? What would growing look like in this season? What would being faithful look like in this season of our lives? This is very important. God wants us to abound. He wants us to be fruitful. I think of the first thing that the psalmist wrote in Psalm 1, blessed is the man, blessed is that man, blessed is that person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. No, that blessed is the person whose delight is in the law or in the, in the, in the, in the truth of the Lord. For in that law he meditates day and night. This person will be like a tree, there it is, will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its, his fruit in its season. His leaf also won't wither. Whatever he does is going to prosper. The, the picture of someone who's grounded, who's, who's planted, who's flourishing, who's got fruit in their lives, that people are able to take a piece of that fruit and live out of that. There's nourishment. There's covering. I think of the imagery of a tree planted by the rivers of water. When we live a life close to God in the season that we're in, we can become a source of blessing and healing for other people in amazing ways. And God is trying to grow us in every season. He has things that he's trying to grow into us and things he's trying to grow out of us. And the question is, are we going to listen? Are we open? Are we willing to respond? Can't we can't miss that. There's a fruitfulness that God wants to work in our lives, but it's going to take an intention on our part. We have to pay attention because life just flies by. I mean, that, like, like the song, it just keeps going right down the, 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 the hourglass. And we have to pay attention to what's happening and think about what is the Lord saying to me in this season and what would growth look like? What would, what would it look like to draw closer to God? What would it look like to have some of these things that have been honestly characterizing my life much too long, what would it look like to begin to address them in serious ways? How can I pay attention to what God's trying to say to me? How can I grow? How can I be fruitful? How can I be a blessing? And then secondly, the seasons also remind us that we need to really treat each one of them as if they're a gift. I was, I was watching a television show. It was a a newscast, it was, it was uh, on PBS, there was, there was this uh, piece in the newscast that had to do with people who had Alzheimer's disease. But what was interesting about it, and mo I think most of us know what that is, how people enter into degrees of dementia, and eventually someone can, can lose complete association with any, with any point of their past reality. To, they don't recognize people who've been intimately involved in their lives. This is a very sad and devastating illness. But what was interesting is that the people that they were interviewing were all people who were in the, their middle years and, were, and were, had the beginning state. This was a group that's often not talked about, people who get Alzheimer's early on in their life, relatively speaking, but are still coherent enough to function. But uh, because they have no cure, then there's, and there's certain types of things they can do, but a lot of times it won't work, that they really are in a unique position. They can talk about things that people who, when they're in the advanced stages, can't give any feedback to them on. Anyway, they had these people in a group, and they were talking about life, and they were talking about just how does it feel knowing that you, know, you have this disease and it's possible that you're going to get to a point. I mean, they were, they were asking some, I mean, I, I ran upstairs and I, I wrote down, I was, I was really uh, impacted by some of the things that they had said. 
And one of the things that I remember one man saying was, I don't really fear, he says, I don't really fear dying. He says, but what I, I really fear is, is that I'm going to become um, dependent. And he says, that really concerns me. And, and then another, another man turned and he says, well, because he says, I don't want to become a burden, right? And the other, the other man said, well, you know what? And he had his wife next to him. And he says, you know what bothers me, what really I'm most afraid of, he says, honestly, is that there's going to come a day when, when I'm going to look at, in the face of this woman who I love. He says, my, and he said, my Juanita. And he says, whom I've loved all these years, and I'm not going to recognize her. And he goes, I, 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 can't, I can't even go there. And the moderator, you could feel it. You feel it, the building tension in the room, and so that he, he, you could feel, you could see it, and he's sensing it. So he turn, he changes the subject, and he goes, he goes, okay. Um, he says, well, if you're thinking about your life in terms of like, and this is the old hourglass thing. He says, he says, do any of you worry about how much time you have left? You know, like how much time you have left in terms of the grains of sand in the hourglass. And I, I'll not forget the answer that was given by one of those those uh, men that were in the group, he said, you know, I don't really look at, try to figure out how much sand is left before I'm going to lose it. He says, I just try really hard at focusing on each single grain of sand as it passes through the middle of that hourglass. I zero in right there. And I thought, what a lesson for us. What a lesson. A lot of us, you think about it, we can't change what's been. We can get a little too anxious. We're not supposed to be anxious about what's yet to be. We don't even know how much is left of the top. But what we can do is zero right in. And he was saying, I want to live in the present as if it's a present. I want to I be fully engaged in my life as it's going by. I don't want to miss it. It's, if anything, what it's done is it's made me live more intentionally with greater focus and concentration on embracing the gift that I have. And I am focusing all my energy right there on that grain as it goes right through the, the hourglass. And I thought, wow, God, you know, a lot of times we are missing the blessing of our season. We are missing it. We're so concerned about what might happen or what sometimes what bogged down by what has been that we're losing the gift of the moment that we're in. We're missing it. We're letting it, we're letting it go by. We're not honoring it. We're not treating it as a sacred gift. And then the Lord wants to remind us, you know what? We, can, we, we will have things in our past that we will regret. John Dunn had that. He regretted not only things he had done, but he had regretted at the end of it. He, he regretted things he had had others do. The door. He had been a door for others. And it bothered him. But you know what? There still has to come a point where we say, in this season, Lord, in this season that I'm in, I can't really change what has been. And yes, it's true, I can affect my future, but that future is not guaranteed. What can I truly own? I can truly own the now. I can own this. Today is the day of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Rejoice in today. Today is the gift from the Lord's hand. This is the time. Now is the time to address it. Now is the time to embrace the season that we're in. Fully, fully embrace it. Honor it. Enjoy it. Be thankful for it. A lot of times people say, well, and this happens, said to me, yeah, you know, I, I just wish I had somebody in my life, right? 
And then I'll have somebody else say, you know, if I didn't have this person in my life. And so I, <laughs> I, I mean, and other, and people, it's amazing to me. And I, then I'd be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. And I said, you know what? And I, and I didn't minimize the feeling of someone who says, and they, it, more than a few have said, you know, is it wrong for me to want this? And I said, no, it's not. But it is not helpful for you to want this if it destroys your ability to appreciate the gifts that you presently have. Because if we are so stuck in lamenting either what has happened or what we lack or what may never happen, that we treat the season that we have as anything short of a gift from God and seek to honor the parts of it that we can truly say thank you for, all of it, the good and the bad. Because sometimes in the bad is when we realize that grace is most active in our lives. Am I saying we should want that? No. Am I saying that God shows up there? Absolutely. The last time I checked, he went through a cross. He didn't have to do it. He understands. Pain, he did not run from it. He entered into it. And I'll tell you something. He invites us at times to enter into our pain and to know him. Not as something he sends our way, but as something that opens us up in ways that causes us to turn to him in ways that we wouldn't have turned before. It, there is something to be said about knowing God and our brokenness, and that is not the point of this discussion. It is enough to say, though, that every season that we have, we need to treat it like an exceptional gift. Thirdly, the gift is not only in terms of the season itself, but it's something that we are to see, and this is our third idea, as, an, as a kind of contentment, that we are to learn to live with seasonal contentment. I was thinking about this, and I was reading an article. Um, actually, the article, where was it? It was, uh, it was from last week's, it was from last week's Wall Street Journal. Now, they had a, a, an article in here that was called The Midlife Blues. I had been watching on the news something else. I had caught the tail end of this thing. They had talked about this big study. They, they, they teased you with it. They said, we're going to uh, tell you uh, the age when, they said, we've identified the age when people, the period of, of life and the specific age when people are most unhappy and unfulfilled. They said, come back after this commercial and we'll tell you that, the answer to that question. <laughs> so I had already been kind of aware. I was interested in their answer. I got a part of it. Come across this. Now, check this out. This was a, a study that involved 2 million people. That's, that's a big study. It says here, this week, a massive, just, I'm, I'm reading, it has, a, it has a little bit of a payoff. So, this week, a massive American-British study of some 2 million souls throughout 80 countries confirms empirically that middle age immiserates us all without regard to income, culture, gender, marital status, or previous experience. The study offers a new visual to illustrate the overarching mood swing of life. We call this the U-curve. I said, ah, the U-curve. They said the U-curve is the place where mental stability and happiness bottoms out. <laughs> now, this is not a joke. That's the thing. This is, it, it says it, it bottoms out. It bottoms out in our 40s and into our 50s. We, we then get more cheerful, according to this data, <laughs> as we round the curve and head into the final stretch. And then in the U.S., women hit bottom at 40, and men at 50. And I started thinking, I go, hun, that means you've already bought them now. <laughs> and I, I, oh no. 
I, I, mean, I was concerned. I said, I'm still going to bottom out. I go, we have some problems here. But we were talking about it in the U-curve, you know, this part of life. Someone say, well, you know, this only, what are you reading this for? It only applies to people in the middle of their life like, like you. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. At the bottom of the U, as you would have thought, this is what surprised them. They didn't think it was going to be a U. They thought it was going to be a downward slope. They just assumed. The assumption was that when you get older, and the more older you get, the more sort of, the, the less happy you get. And so it caught them off guard when they actually saw it slip sloping back up. And it caught them, made them think a lot about it. And, and part of what this article does here, it says this, look, mid, check this out. Midlife is perhaps the last opportunity to shape your fate before you have to accept it. A phase when you are suddenly taunted by the lives unlived because you can still, though only just, try to live them. A time when you can still become what you might have been. Midlife is the last chance to keep your word with the 10-year-old you once were who look forward at life and made a pact with the future. You wake up in middle age to feel that you have drifted, and you might feel a kind of awakening, though possibly a delusional one fueled by chemistry. It's true, actually. The feeling might haunt you into one last eruptive attempt at realignment. Think about this. And then he says this. What would, you, what would be the right road to, to keep in one's groove or to opt for the road not taken, right at the bottom of that U-curve. Now, you say, well, this doesn't really apply to me because this is not where I'm at. I'm going to tell you this. All of us have been affected, many of us, I should say, by people who've hit that bottom, and they just kept right on going and blew everything and left a wake of pain and debris behind them that has affected lives in that place where there's this, this time where you have to choose almost, am I gonna, am I gonna sort of go? And I'm, saying, I'm not saying there isn't a time when we, we are supposed to go for things. And maybe there are dreams that we've been putting off that we need, to, we need to pursue them. But there are other times where it is reckless and selfish. And what it does is it hurts a ton of people. And it affects, and many of us have been hurt by people who at the bottom of the U shot off and decided they're gonna take care of themselves. First of all, and what the Bible says is, there's a beauty in being committed and loving in a selfless way that the model that we were given was the model of Jesus who laid aside his own rights to give his own life as a blessing for us. And part of what we're challenged with in the seasons of life is making good decisions that will bless other people. And I'm going to say that for a lot of us, we need to, we need to not regret a spring we can't go back and recorrect going to have to let the spring be. It is what it is. Be thankful for the grace of God. For some of us, we need to give up this idea of pursuing the endless summer. Let's get on and move forward with the grace of God as he's speaking over our lives. For others of us, let's not be afraid of midlife and the fall and all that. Let's try to hold our commitments. Let's try to be a blesser of people as best as we can. Again, I know how many of us have been affected by choices people make when we're in that spot where we just want to take care of ourselves. I get it, but don't forget other people who need others to be strong, to keep their commitments, to love well. And there's a time, I think, where a lot of times that you starts to turn. Anyway, and don't, let's not be afraid of our winner either. I want us to, if, if it's possible, I'd like us to be able to live in this fragile present without fear of the 
unpredictable tomorrow. We can't predict tomorrow, but we don't need to live in this life fearfully. We need to live with hope and optimism and content for the, for the growth in the season that we're in. And so I want to challenge us to do that, to contend for growth, to be better, to not give up on some things we need to stick with. Okay, Lord, I pray that as we are here in this late morning, and, you know, we're kind of bringing this to a close, Lord. We've um, sat with the seasons now, and now we're open before you. I, I really ask you, God, to stir our hearts to want to live better, to want to honor you better, to want to be able to move forward and to be able to grow. Perhaps there are specific things that you're saying to us about our need to be content and not to, and not to get um, caught up in either what we don't have um, or have once had, but instead to learn how to live in the blessing of the present and to live well. Help us, God, to not only be embraced with the promise that reaches into tomorrow, but to let that also always lace our lives with hopeful optimism because we do not live as those without hope. We live as a people of promise. Help us to take your light and give it away. I ask for your blessing. Bless us all, Lord. Give us a love for you that is growing. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, God. <laughs>